Well, good morning, RCC again. Open your Bibles to the book of James. I am excited to begin this new series with you entitled Living Faith. So just implant that, ingrain that in your minds, that for the next, well, a couple of months, we're going to just walk through the book of James together. So every Sunday when you come to church, just have your finger or have your placement in the book of James. We're going to just work our way through this book, this short, practical book of James. James is is so short, and you can actually try this exercise at home, that it can be read out loud in about 20 to 25 minutes. The entire book of James. So for all you A students in the congregation, you should have read James at least four times by next Sunday. That's what I'm counting on, four times by next Sunday. That is how short this book is. So again, for the next few months, we're just going to work our way through the book of James. But for this morning, let me just read the first verse of James chapter 1. Heard a lot of things this past week. Been in a lot of conversation. I'm sure expressed some anxiety over the unknown, what is to come. Heard a lot of opinions. But now, beloved, hear the word of God. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Read that one more time. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, every part of your word, oh Lord, is inspired. Every part of your word is powerful. Even the smallest word is able to break through the distractions and meet us where we are. And so that is what we need this morning, O Lord. We need you to meet us where we are. We need you to do much like what you did here in the book of James. That wherever we're dispersed, that you would reach us. We trust this to you. We pray it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As we work our way through the book of James, the theme verse, let me give you a theme verse that's going to sort of be in the background of everything that we do in the book of James. It it is found in chapter 2, and this is what it says. It says, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works 
is dead. That is sort of the thread that works its way throughout the entirety of the book of James, that faith without works is dead. This is why we entitled the series Living Faith. James is concerned that Christians, those who name the name of Christ, would not simply be Christians in word only, but they'll be Christians in everything that they do. They'll be Christians in their actions, living faith. But it's important, beloved, that we get the order right. We can't mess up on the order of of works and faith. We have to have that in its proper positioning. Beloved, we are not adding faith to our works. We're adding works to our faith. That order is pivotal because you cannot, no matter how hard you try, you cannot work yourself into the faith. You can't do it. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians and he says this, faith is a gift and you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is what, beloved? It is God's gift. Paul spends a lot of time talking about how we were dead. We can't work ourselves into this. It's a gift of God. And so while we realize that our our faith, we are saved by that alone, we have to realize, and we will for the next few months, that while we are saved by faith alone, faith is never alone. Have to get that. We're saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone. You remember way back in the book of Exodus, right? Before the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, right? This this scripture where we're, we're supposed to do something or think some way. We're supposed to act in a certain way. But oftentimes, beloved, even in the church, we sort of skip to the Ten Commandments and don't read the first two verses of the book of Exodus chapter 20. The first two verses are critical in understanding how we position our works and God working. This is what it says. It said, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And then... The Lord goes into the Ten Commandments. We have to get that the Lord works first. The Lord is not calling us to act without him having already acted. The Lord has brought us out of slavery. He has broken the chains of our bondage. And because of that, now we can read the book of James in a proper light. But you can't mix that up. You can't think reading the book of James that somehow if we just do enough, if we just, you know, work ourselves into this, then the Lord will be pleased with us. Beloved, the Lord is pleased with his people because he is simply pleased with his people, not because of anything that we have done first. 
But now that he has acted, now that he has broken the chains, now that he has raised us from the grave, now that we have faith, we work. See, the works are, are merely, they're merely a sign of life. Imagine going to a, an abandoned house, right? And you walk into that abandoned house and you see empty bags of Cheetos puffs laying around. And I say Cheetos Puffs because Cheetos Puffs are so much greater than the crunchy Cheetos. Those who think that the crunchy Cheetos are better than the Puffs, you have no part in the kingdom of God. So say you walk into an abandoned house and and you see Cheetos puffs, empty bags laying all around, and you see Notre Dame gear spread all over the house, right? And you see empty orange pop cans laying all over the house. You would walk into that abandoned house and say to yourself, there there are signs of life here. Somebody has been living here. Maybe it's a Stephen that has been living in this house. Right? Because those things are a sign that life was there first. But here's what you would not do. You would not walk into an abandoned house and your backpack is full of empty Cheetos bags and you start laying Cheetos bags on the floor. You start laying Notre Dame gear on the floor. You start laying empty orange pop cans on the floor. And you look at it and say, if I wait long enough, maybe life will appear out of these empty Cheeto bags. It's not what happens. One precedes the other naturally. Such is the case with faith and works. Faith precedes works. Faith, as we work, the works are merely a sign that there is life involved. This is what James is going to go through over the next couple of months for us. Before we dive in, let me give you just a little bit of background on the book of James. And and you're going to see that as James enters into this text, he's going to show us the the Lord's grace in the past. Again, that's critical. Because before we move to the present or the future, we have to understand that the Lord's grace comes First, it is the Lord's grace in the past that catapults us to do any good work for the kingdom of God. Lord's grace in the past. Let's talk about the who of James. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. The who of James is James. Who wrote the book of James? James, right? See, Bible study is so easy. You You can do this by yourself. James is the Lord Jesus Christ's brother. But you notice from James chapter 1, verse 1, that's not how he introduces himself. Notice how he introduces himself. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is James, the brother of Christ, the brother of the God-man, the brother of the one who spoke all things into existence by the word of his power. And he introduces himself not as his brother, but as his slave. That's what the word servant there means. Not just, get you some water. No, 
It's a slave. James identifies no matter his proximity to Jesus Christ. He says, I am a slave of Christ. What he says, I will do. Where he sends, I will go. What he tells me to think about, I will think about. Now, let's be honest, beloved. You know, had it been you and I, and we were writing this book, and we were brothers with Jesus Christ, oh, we would have name dropped for real. Some of y'all name drop, and we don't even know who you're talking about. Some of y'all find ways to introduce things about yourself into a conversation. You're like, man, that's, that's pretty slick how you just wove that into a conversation. I love talking to people, and they tell me about what college they go to, right? And I ask them, hey, brother, you know, do you like coffee? And they'll be like, yeah, because, you know, when I went to Harvard, I used to drink a certain... I'm like, What? I just ask you if you like coffee or not. I don't ask you what school because we, we like to name drop. We think it adds some sort of character to ourselves, but that's not what James does. He could have, but he realized his position in Jesus Christ. He is a slave. And brothers and sisters, let me say this. It doesn't matter how long you've been in relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to understand your position in Christ. You, we are his slaves. And that's a glorious position. That's a beautiful posture. Like, Lord, you you are everything. And and, and I am but your humble slave. But your humble servant. Is that how we think about ourselves? Or have we become so close to Jesus Christ that we forget who's master? And who's slave? But notice, James chapter 1, verse 1, James gives us a quick glance into who Jesus Christ is. And he sort of does this in a slick way. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that James connects Jesus Christ with God. In the same way that James is a servant of God, he's a servant of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that can only be the case if Jesus Christ is God. There is no right-minded individual who will say that I'm a servant of God and in the same manner I'm a servant of this individual unless, unless that individual was God. I'm a servant of God, and I'm a servant of Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God, and his readers would have understood this. They're not not guessing at what James is trying to say there. He puts God and Jesus Christ in the same category, beloved. The, The Trinity, the deity of Christ is all over Scripture. You can't get past an introduction without knowing that Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord. James says, it's the only way that can happen. That's that's the who of James. Let's let's talk about the when of James. Notice in in verse 1 that James says that he's he's writing to this group of, of tribes that are scattered abroad. A little background on James tells us that all of these Christians who are dispersed, 
have found themselves somewhere planted in the Roman world. You remember from last week when we talked about the the Roman world, don't you? You remember how devastating the Roman world, how the Christians planted themselves in. And James writes to these Christians who are dispersed in this Roman world. One thing you have to understand about the Roman world is that there was only one Lord in the Roman world, and the Roman citizens called him Caesar. So notice what James does. He says, James, servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus Christ. James understands who he's writing to. He understands who's the ruler in the Roman world, but James also understands who is ruler over all. So he takes this word that the Roman citizens only use for Caesar, and he says, no, y'all got it twisted. Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. Imagine, saints, if this letter had been intercepted. This is treasonous, right? For for somebody to write and, and sort of bring Caesar down a couple of pegs, if this letter had been intercepted, Ah, this, he, he would have been brought up on charges of treason, but James didn't care because he, he realized who was Lord over all. Beloved, James, as we understand, as we sort of go back into this time frame, James is making a very political statement. It doesn't matter who the earthly ruler is, they will never take the place of Jesus Christ. Christ is Lord. And so James delivers this letter to those Christians who were spread abroad. Oh, I wish that all of us would wake up on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, whenever they finish counting the votes, and that we all would walk to our mailboxes, open it up, and understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter who the president is. We got to get this. We have to understand this. James is inserting himself into the political sphere, and he's blowing it up. He says, Christians, remember, you're dispersed. You're spread about. But I don't care what the world calls their leader. You have one, and that's Jesus Christ. And if Christ is our Lord, then if he's our Lord, if, he, if he's all of our Lord, that means that you and I, our, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. This is why James says in verse 2, this is why he calls them brothers and sisters. Get that, beloved, that James can write to a group of Christians dispersed over the Roman world, and yet he writes with such commonality. He writes with such unity. Like, I'm writing to you, Christian. I don't know who you are, but if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you're my family. You're my brother. You're my sister. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ covers his people. Beloved, we we have a new family. Christ has made a family out 
of us. So that's why, you know, I, I can look at Stephen and, and, and say, brother, you know, if you're a believer and I'm a believer, if we're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are now closer to me than my unbelieving aunt and uncle. You are now closer to me than my unbelieving family member. Why? Because Christ has a new economy. He has a new family. We have the same father who is God over all. We have been covered in the same blood that is the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the same spirit. We have the same baptism. We have the same Lord. We have the same destination. That is eternity with Jesus Christ. The commonality is found with the people of God. So saints, lean in on this one. Because if James can sort of make a political statement, I'm going to just catapult off of James. If you find yourself having more in common with someone who is a non-believer but yet thinks the same way politically as you do, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Christ says, as he writes, as he picks up James and writes this book, look, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. And as my grandmama used to say, family is all you got. And I love that. It reminds us of where our connection resides. It reminds us when we gather in this place that I am connected to you and you are connected to me. And this has much greater implications than United States of America. It has eternal implications. Who and the wind of James. That was sort of a little bit of the background. Let's dive into the foreground of James. Again, the Lord's grace in the past, it should lead to living faith in the present. Again, faith and then works. So let's talk about the where. Of James, And I simply call at this point return to sender because if you notice in James chapter one, verse one, he's not addressing any one person in particular. He's not addressing any one church in particular, as the other New Testament books do. Right. James just writes and says, hey, you, Christians, 12 tribes, you're dispersed all over the place. I'm writing this to you. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that James is not so much a letter as it is like a tract or a book, that, that its purpose is to be dispersed widely. That any Christian who picks, picks up the book of James knows that this book is written to them. No matter where they are, no matter when they are. A Christian can pick up the book of James and say, this, man, the Spirit had me in mind when he wrote this book. The Spirit had RCC in mind when, when he wrote this book. It, it is written to a whole bunch 
of exiles. Let's give a definition. Exile is simply this. We're absent. We're we're absent from our country and our home. Beloved, you've got to get this. We've got to understand this, that this is how the Bible describes Christian in this way more so than any other way. You and I are exiles. So as James writes, and it sort of comes through the corridors of time, he says Redemption City Church dispersed here in the city of South Bend, you are exiles. You are absent from your country and your home. Beloved, we we have a home, but this isn't it. We have a country, but this isn't it. The writer of Hebrews says we're, we're longing, we're traveling as pilgrims to our homeland. We cannot be comfortable in where we are. This isn't our home, brothers and sisters. We are exiles. If you have your mask on, look to your neighbor and say, we are exiles. If you don't have your mask on, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) We have a home, and it's not America. We have a family, and it's not this world. We have got to think like exiles. We have got to think that we're going home. And if this is not our home, brothers and sisters, we have to be wise about what we disagree with our brothers and sisters on. Why? Because we're going to spend all of eternity with them. We got to go home with them. This little thing we're doing is temporary, but I got to go home with y'all. Reminds me, we we go out oftentimes, and if if y'all didn't notice, my wife and I, we are are in an inter-ethnic relationship. An inner... (laughs) An inner... (laughs) An inter-racial relationship, Right? And, you know, oftentimes we go places and we'll get some looks sometimes. People actually walk by and, like, break their necks and look back like, man, they, they in an interracial relationship. And sometimes when people ask Stephen and Mandy, how is it being in an interracial relationship, they often want to know, do you, do you guys get looks? How do, you, how do you respond when you get looks? Right? Do you, do you respond in the moment? And I always say to people, Mandy can verify this, like, look. No, I don't respond in the moment because if I were to take those one, two, or three minutes of looks and respond to them, I got to go home with Mandy. And if I'm like dropping her hand like, I don't know her, who is that? I got I to gotta go home and spend the rest of my day with her. So I'm going to respond according to who I'm going to spend the majority of my time with. And brothers and sisters, that's how we should respond in every season when a brother or sister in Christ is involved. Don't let this world take you astray. Don't let those two or three minutes of agreeing with somebody who hates Jesus Christ 
to take you away from your brother or sister who you're going to spend eternity with. You got to go home with them. Don't let this world pull you aside. James is going to spend a lot of time on that as we enter into the depths of the book of James, but he's not going to do that today. Let's go to the why of James. The why of James is, is, is what our, our title is. It's, it's simply living faith. This is why James is writing. James is concerned with, with Christians who are Christians in word only, but not in deed, not in action. James writes these chapters to, to say to us that living faith produces works. The way you can tell if you have living faith is if you have works. Dead faith produces nothing. It's dead. But living faith, again, you have to get the order right. Works flow from faith, not the other way around. And James is going to spend a lot of time talking about this. If, if we are Christians, if we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if Christ has rescued us and raised us from the dead, then there are certain things we ought to be doing. There is an ethic that you and I live by. And the only place we find that ethic is in the pages of Scripture. We don't find the Christian ethic anywhere else. There is nowhere else in all of this world that gets 100% of the time right the Christian ethic but the Bible. So I'm asking you, you can go to Walmart, go to Costco, go to Sam's Club, go to AutoZone, but you're going to need your seat the next few months. You're going to need your seatbelts because James, any of us get this Christian life is going to be a ride for all of us. James is going to challenge everything about you and I. Nothing is safe. Everything, as I said last week, falls under the banner of discipleship. And James is concerned about making disciples. So James is going to challenge us in how we suffer. Did you know that there's a Christian way to suffer? Did you know that we can reflect Jesus Christ in how we suffer? As a matter of fact, James says when you suffer, count it joy. Count it all joy. There is a suffering ethic for Christians, and James is going to challenge us in that. James is going to challenge us how we ask God for things, but don't really believe that God has the power to bring those things about. Lord, I'm going to pray to you because I think I should, and I'm going to ask for wisdom, but I don't really believe that you give wisdom. I don't really believe that you're going to answer my request. James is going to show us the Christian ethic of praying. James is going to challenge us how we mistreat the poor but are partial to the rich. 
He's going to lean into us heavily. How when somebody has wealth, how even in today's time, we are partial to the wealthy, but those who are poor, those who don't have as much, we sort of shy away from. It's going to challenge us in that. He's going to challenge us that words have consequences. He's going to challenge us that our tongues can be deadly weapons. He's going to lean in in what we say. Because brothers and sisters, what we say is just as important as what we do. As a matter of fact, James says people have controlled all kinds of things. They've controlled ships. They controlled animals, lions, tigers, and bears, but they can't control their tongues. It's going to lean into that. How our, our words are, are just as evil as our actions. He's going to challenge our politics. James is writing to a Roman society, and he's going to lean into them politically. He's going to talk to them. Look, y'all, the, the wisdom of this world is fading, and it's fading quickly. You have a different wisdom, and so James is going to lean into that politically. So I, I got to warn you, brothers and sisters, that if you are a Democrat before you are a Christian, you're going to have a hard time with the book of James over the next few months. And if you're a Republican before you're a Christian, you're going to have a hard time with the book of James over the next few months. He's going to lean into us and say that if it's from this world, it's dying. The only wisdom that lasts forever is the wisdom that's from above. Act accordingly. He's going to challenge how we treat one another. There's an ethic how we interact with one another. Remember that we're brothers and the Lord, how we treat our family. And it's going to grieve James when the brothers and sisters in the Lord treat each other poorly. I can't imagine if Twitter or Facebook or Instagram wasn't James Day. He would have mourned the way we treat each other on those platforms. He would have mourned the way we know they're a Christian, but we can't see their face. And so we use our tongues to set fires across this nation. He would have mourned greatly, brothers and sisters. Remember when I said the Bible's relevant and it speaks to today? He's going to challenge that. He's going to challenge our arrogance. Oh, you want to talk about what you're doing tomorrow? Tomorrow's not promised. Your life is a vapor. It appears for a little while, King James Version, and then vanisheth away. <laughs> Arrogance and what we think that we're in control of anything we do. James is going to say, wait, wait Christian, your speech ought to be if the Lord wills. If the Lord decides, then we will do all of this. Listen, there's not an area of our life that's going to be safe over the next few months. Not an area of our life. If you think you can hide from the book of James, if you think you can hide from the Holy Spirit, listen, you're not going to hide in this place. James is going to peer into every area, but like a good surgeon, as he exposes it, he's going to heal us. 
and he's going to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. And we know he's going to do that because of how he ends verse 1. He ends verse 1 simply with greetings. Now, in our modern translation, we might say, oh, wow. he's just saying, what's up to them? What's cracking? Twelve tribes? It's not what he's saying. This is like a greeting like, hey, blessings be upon you. This is like in Spanish, que viva, like long live the saints of Jesus Christ. This is his greeting to the people. James, how in the world are you getting ready to give us all of these things to do, but then say to us, blessings be upon you? Don't you know that we're frail? Don't you know that we're broken? You're about to give us all this to-do list and then say to us, hey, long live, saints. Why can James do that? Because he got the order right. He understands that faith comes first. So even though he's getting ready to give us this long list and peer into every area of our lives, James understands that all of this is accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his blood alone. And so he can end the letter with, hey, I'm getting ready to dive in. I'm getting ready to look into your bedrooms, your closets, your cars, your workplaces, your schools, your thinking, your tongues. I'm getting ready to expose all of that. But don't forget, saints, it's by his grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So this is why we can celebrate the Lord's table. This is why we can have communion. If you don't have one of these, the ushers will be sure to bring you one. This is why we can celebrate this. Because we understand that if there's anything good that we do, it's because of this sacrifice. If there's anything that flows from us, if there's any clean water that comes from us, it's because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on behalf of sinners. And so we, we take this like, yeah, James, look into our lives, peer into our lives, because when you show me some of my sin, I'm just going to run more quickly back to the cross and say, Jesus, can you, can you forgive me? And those who run to the cross and ask that know that because of his death and resurrection, the answer is always yes. Yes, child, I forgive you. So, so what we do here is it's reserved for those who, who love Jesus Christ. It's for those who have been bought with a price. Those who take of this stale bread and drink of this juice, it is for those whom the blood of Jesus Christ has washed clean. So if you, don't, if you don't know who Christ is, if you haven't placed your faith in him, if you haven't been given that gift of faith, we simply ask that you don't take this. But don't just not take it. Inquire. Ask. What does it mean to have my sins forgiven? What does it mean to meet a Lord named Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be his servant? What does it mean for him to show me myself and forgive me? 
What does it mean for him to show me myself and still love me? Ask that question. But for those who have been called by the name of Jesus Christ, for those who have been given the gift of faith and salvation by his grace, we take of this remembrance. And we say, this is the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, do this in remembrance of him, in remembrance that he paid the price for our sins. So let's commune together. The Bible says in the, in the same way he took the cup. Just a, a symbol of his blood that was shed for our sin. That though our sins are like crimson, even the red blood can make them white as snow. The blood has paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. You cannot, if you are a child of God, you cannot out the grace of God. And that's only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So those who have been covered in this blood, let's commune together. Lord, we give you glory that you, Jesus Christ, are not dead. You are alive. And since you are alive, you are our living hope. To you and to you alone be all the glory, we pray in Christ's name.